like I said, we're really, really wanting to listen to the Lord. He's, he's been about a work uh, for a number of weeks now, a number of months, talking to us uh, about freedom. And, and so we want to continue to look for that. Uh, and one of the things from Dave's talk last night that he, he commented on were, were some of these paradoxical realities we encounter as Christians, uh, even down to the very reality of, of Christ who can be God and man. How do we, how do we reconcile that, and, and how do we put those two things together? Um, freedom actually comes not from completely being devoid of guidance, uh, but freedom for us as Christians really comes when we seek to live our call to holiness, as Dave was talking about last night, and to do so uh, in two manners. In, one is, is to be missions, missionaries. Uh, we talk about being disciples on mission, to go out and to proclaim a gospel. And the other is in doing that to lay down our lives. Um, and we do that sometimes as, as full martyrs, as, as red martyrs, uh, but so often in, in the simple things of, of what have I done this week to show my wife my appreciation? Or what have I done? What, what duty or, or responsibility have I projected on myself that I've set aside so that Charlie can know I love him and just stop to play catch with a football? Um, where have I laid down my life uh, for my friends? And so we, we talk about that uh, as that paradoxical rea- relationship between uh, both being missions and, and giving up our own preference of life, uh, and in that is where we find freedom. So we're going to talk today about kind of both of those. Um, want to go and begin, we'll invite Gordy up. He's going to do our first presentation today, uh, and this is on missionary uh, and being missionaries. So, Gordy, why don't we welcome you on up, and we'll take just a quick moment. Uh, I guess introduction is, is somewhat appropriate. Um, we do know Gordy as the senior coordinator um, from St. Paul and the Community Christ Redeemer, uh, founder of, of SPO, and uh a good brother in the Lord who has done a lot to help us as we grow as community. So thank you for that. Let's take just a quick minute, minute and, and offer prayer for Gordy, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Gracious Father, we thank you for uh, the gift you've given us in your son, Gordy, in our brother. Lord, we ask that you open our hearts uh, to hear uh, from this man who has a missionary heart about our call to be missionary. We ask that you give him your words uh, to speak to us, and you give us your ears to hear those. In your name we pray, amen. How's everybody doing? Aren't you glad to be here? Yeah? The enthusiasm is, is overwhelming. Dave said last night on Friday night, talks, we're talks go to die. Tonight, I'm the only thing that stands between you and dinner. <laughs> so, so I'm not sure what's worse. <clears throat> I'm really glad the folks from Minnesota decided to come down. They heard this talk about three weeks ago at our community conference and liked it so much. <laughs> they decided to take a road trip. Actually, they didn't know that that was, they might not have come down, truth be told. It's so great to be here. 
Uh, I've had the opportunity to spend a good part of the day meeting with various groupings of leadership in Heart of the Redeemer community, and, and it's really been renewing for me, and renewing for me in, in the sense of what God's called me to for my own life, and I was, I was there at the very beginning of Heart of the Redeemer community, Covenant community, when a group of us from St. Paul came down and we did a, a Life in the Spirit seminar, Fan in a Flame retreat, and there were, I don't know, a dozen couples and some singles on that retreat. And at the end of that weekend, Matt stood up and gave a vision for, for building community. You remember that? And who was there on that weekend? The, first, the very first weekend. Thank you. For your yes, those few yeses some six, seven, eight years ago have given birth to this, this work of the Lord, which really is extraordinary. There's a tremendous amount of faith in this community. There's a tremendous amount of love. There's a, a tremendous amount of zeal and commitment to the Lord and the way of life that he's given to us, and it's, it's a great gift. Um, if, if you do feel like sleeping during my presentation, that's really quite fine. I used to be upset by that. Until uh, some of you kind of older netters, do you, do you remember Father John Williams? Maybe that was even really old netters. <clears throat> but he was a priest uh, from North Carolina that used to visit net training. And this, this priest was brilliant. I mean, he had a couple PhDs in history and theology and he used to come to my formation talks and sit in the front row all the time, and he would sleep. And he, he came up to me after one of my presentations and said, you should take that as a compliment. Because if I'm sleeping during your presentation, it means that I have no concerns about what you're speaking about. <laughs> so, feel free to sleep. <laughs> um... So this is, this is a talk on missionaries, and I'm not going to give a talk on the Great Commission tonight. I'm not going to exhort us to go out and evangelize individually in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods. I'd love to come down and give a talk like that at a different time, but I, I really want to focus tonight on uh, us being a missionary people, us being a missionary community, because I think there's something at the very heart of what the Lord's called us to in building Christian, Christian community in this day and in this age that's missionary. It's a work of the Holy Spirit in response to the signs of the times in which we live. And I'm going to try to help us see how that is today in my presentation. I'm a new grandpa. Some of you know David and Laura Fisher, and I was at the Fisher's house back in early August, and I was talking to one of David's little girls, I think she's seven, and I said, you know, in a couple weeks I'm going to be a grandpa. And I said, you know, I, I know that's hard to believe. You know, I, I know I don't look like a grandpa, but it's really true. In a couple weeks I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a grandpa. She said, yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> so... Silas was born on August 16th, and Ellie, Eleanor, Marie, 
was born on August 31st. I'm a grandpa twice. And I've had the opportunity uh, over these last couple months to hold these children in my arms. Um, Ellie and I got some time last night, yesterday afternoon together. She took a selfie of the two of us and <laughs> posted it. I was able to hear the first words out of her mouth. Hi, Grandpa. <laughs> it actually was more like, Ew. but I knew what she meant. And as I was holding this, uh, this, this tiny child in my arms, I wondered. I wondered about her future. What does the future hold for her? What kind of world is Eleanor Marie going to inherit? What joys and blessings, what sorrows and struggles await her? Now, I'm rounding the, the corner towards the end, but her life is just beginning. I'm 59, I'm going to be 60 next June, and that just sounds old. And I'm thinking about endings and finishing well, and, and uh, but she's just beginning. And I know many of you have children, babies and toddlers and grade school kids, and now there's seven teenagers in the community, I understand. And I imagine you might ask yourself the same question. What kind of world are these children being born into? What, what's, what, what does their future hold for them? And there's so much about our world today that's uncertain. You know, Dave pulled out the Quaker Oats guy last night. Uh, how many of you ever heard of one of our Minnesota favorites, Bob Dylan? You've heard of Bob Dylan. Well, he wrote, he wrote a, he, you know, he, he was a, a folk singer in the 1960s, and he was, he was a part of this kind of emerging hippie generation that was anti-authority, anti-establishment, rejection of tradition. And he wrote a song in the 1960s that was strangely prophetic. And he said, in like 1963 or 64, the times, they are a-changing. And it's true that the 1960s could mark, arguably for us, the beginning of what we now refer to as the culture war. Who's heard that term? The culture war. We're also celebrating next spring, oh, this, this last year we celebrated the 50th anniversary of Catholic Charismatic Renewal, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, from which our movement really in many ways was born. Next spring, 1968, we're also celebrating another 50th anniversary. Does anybody know what anniversary we're celebrating? In 19, what happened in 1968? What happened? Humanae Vitae, which, you know, is known popularly, popularly uh, I haven't even had any wine yet, as the, uh, the encyclical letter that affirmed the church's teaching that contraception was immoral. And I remember, you know, in my youth, people saying to me, you know, Humanae Vitae was really a, a, a prophetic encyclical, and I thought, Really? Is this, is this really, you know, it's an important issue, but prophetic? And it really was, because what Humanity Vitae wasn't principally about was contraception. What Humanity Vitae was principally about was 
reaffirming the Orthodox Christian teaching about married love, about responsible parenthood that was rooted in a, and here's a fancy word, a, in, a, in a strong biblical anthropology. So what's anthropology? Anthropology is simply, what's the human person? Who are we as human beings? And one could argue that the culture war that we're in the middle of revolves precisely around this question. What is the human person? Where do we find our origin? Where do we find our identity? Where do we find meaning in our life? Where do we find purpose in our life? What is our destiny? Is that all found in reference to God, to our creatures being created in the likeness and image of God, or is this humanism fundamentally secular with no reference to God? And I, I, I maintain for you tonight that the culture war that we have been in the middle of for the last 50 years is a, is a war around this what is the human person. And our culture, sadly, frighteningly, has chosen the latter. We don't find our identity as creatures in the likeness and image of God. And the rate at which our culture has turned away from faith and traditional morality over these last 50 years, but in particular over the last 10 years, is dizzying. This is the world that Ellie Marie is being born into. In 2012, Pope Benedict said this. He said, the spiritual crisis overtaking the West is the most serious since the fall of the Roman Empire. The light of Christianity is flickering out all over the West. What kind of future will our children and grandchildren inherit? Barring a dramatic reversal in cultural trends, Christianity may all but disappear from Europe and North America. I mean, who could have imagined the decline in our culture? Who could have imagined the breakdown in family life and the rejection of morality and the fragmentation of human relationships and human community? Who could have imagined how quickly and in what great numbers people would leave the practice of the faith, and particularly young people. Sherry Waddell, who wrote this book on forming intentional disciples, uh, I think many of you are familiar with it, said if something doesn't change in the Catholic Church in the next 10 years, it's not going to matter whether there's a priest shortage or not because there won't be any faithful to minister to. Pew Research there's a category described as nuns, not N-U-N-S, but N-O-N-E-S. And in 1960, people under the age of 30 who identified as nuns claiming no religious affiliation, spiritual tradition was 3%. Today that's 35% and growing. No faith at all. No identification with any kind of religion or faith. In this culture that's been so quickly accelerating away from the Lord and his ways has really come to a head in the last couple of years. 
think many of us are familiar with the Obergefell versus Hodges Supreme Court decision where on June 26, 2015, the Supreme Court ruled five to four that gay marriage is a constitutional right, meaning that all 50 states must allow it and that all existing bans are invalid. Cardinal Chaput in a book, I've, I've read three books in the last couple months. One is this one, Strangers in a Strange Land by Cardinal Chaput, uh, Rob Dreer and the Benedict Option, and then a book on Acedia. You can ask him about that afterwards. But the other two I'm going to re reference in this talk. He says this, in redefining marriage and family, the state implicitly claims the authority to define what is and isn't properly human. Again, here's this crisis culture war around the meaning of what is the human person. Who we are, how we mate, with whom we mate are purely matters of so personal choice and social contract. Biology is raw material and gender is fluid. Both are free of any larger truth that might limit our actions. Consequence, consequences will impact every aspect of our shared political, economical, economic and social life. The question of the family is not just about a particular social construct, but about man himself, of what he is and what it takes to be authentically human. And as sobering as this decision is, which is also sobering, is the fact that this decision was very popular with a majority of American people who 10 years earlier, just 10 years earlier, would have taken a very different view of that decision. And this just isn't a, 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 a victory now from those who would propose a different way, way to live that we now live in peace with, but having secured this victory, the advocates who are pressing for this cultural change have no intention a living in peace with those of us who hold a traditional view of sex and marriage. In fact, right now, we are viewed by our culture as bigoted and intolerant and put in the same category as racist. This is the world that Eleanor Marie has been born into. And now we've quickly seen, haven't we, since 2015, how this agenda has been pressed forward in the insanity of transgender rights. And my, my fear, and I'll talk about fear in a little bit, my fear is that we're going to continue to see increasing hostility in our culture towards Christianity. Just a few weeks ago, I received an email link to, a, to an article um, in, the New, uh, in the New York Times about a recent uh, appeals to court nominee. I don't know how many of you heard this story. Amy Coney Barrett, who was being attacked by senators on the Judiciary Committee for her religious beliefs. Senator Feinstein declared in the hearings that dogma lives loudly within you. Of course, Orrin, Orrin Hatch fought back and, and, and accused these um, senators of, of uh, religious bigotry and employing a, an unconstitutional religious test for office. But what this particular article went on to expose that, what, that, that Anne, 
uh, Coney Barrett was, was just not a, a faithful Catholic, but she was actually a member of a tightly, tightly knit religious group called the People of Praise. Well, I know the People of Praise. There's a, there, there, the People of Praise has communities like our community all over the world, and there's one in Minneapolis. And I have coffee every month with the senior leader of the People of Praise community. And I know these people to be good, faithful, committed Christian believers who love God, who love one another deeply, and have chosen to live and adopt a way of life that supports them. There's nothing eccentric or troublesome about this group, but this article, and I encourage you to go Google it, I don't have time to get into it tonight, uh, misrepresents and mischaracterizes these good people in this community as odd people, eccentric people, uh, people that we actually should be worried about. This is the culture that we live in. This is the culture that Ellie is growing up in. Rod Dreer, I mentioned in his book, The Benedict Option. How many of you have seen that or read it or looked at it? Or... says it's time for Christians to wake up and realize that we've, we, we have lost the culture war. It's over. The culture war has been lost. That's the age in which we live. A few years ago, I was with George Weigel. Some of you know him. And he was speaking about the decline of the culture, as he, he often does. And he's written a book called Evangelical Catholicism, Envisioning Catholicism in the 21st, Moving from Maintenance to Mission. Don't you like that? Maintenance to Mission. That's what we're about as a church, moving from maintenance to mission. And I asked him whether he had any hope in light of all of this. And he said, well, not so much for the American experiment. And the experience that we've known for 200 years in our culture, but for the church and the Christian way of life, absolutely. So what are we to make of all this, especially you all, so many of you at this place where you're bringing children into this world and trying to form them in a Christian mind, in a Christian way of life. And, and, and we see ourselves in a world where increasingly that way of life is being attacked and undermined. It's discouraging, isn't it? I find it discouraging, disconcerting, like even fearful. But what I want to propose to you tonight is that we are to be a people of hope. Times like this can be powerfully persuasive. They can remind us of who we are in Christ, and they can remind us of our call. And they can remind us that this isn't our home, that we are pilgrims, that we are sojourners, we are aliens in this world, and our true home is in heaven. And we're called to be in this world, but not of it. We're called to fix our heart and mind, not on the passing things of this age, but on the things unseen, which remain forever on the age to come. And our future might mean that our lives aren't as secure and comfortable in this world as we might now experience them, and, and hope that they might be in the future. Can't go from page four to page six. But the truth is, is that we should never become comfortable in this world. We should never become too settled in. 
We should never become to this worldly focus. And these times can wake us up to who we really are in Christ. You know, the thing I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to talk about tonight, but I'll just reference, I think the election a year ago was another kind of wake-up call to where we find ourselves in our culture. Because many of us couldn't find any candidate that we would want to cast a vote for. And, and it kind of shook me up because I, I think I put my hope in politics over the last 10 years or 15 years or 20 years and, and hope that if we just elected the right kind of government and political leaders and officials that, that they could change our culture, but they're not going to change our culture. They simply reflect who we are. And politics is always going to be a mixed bag. And we can't identify as God's people with a political system or a political party or a political strategy because then we're not salt and light and leaven. We're just a part of, part of the, the, the world God has called us to transform and change. But our call also isn't to go hunker down, right? To go off to the cave or to the mountains. Because, my brothers and sisters, it's for this time, just this time, that the Lord has called us. And we are called to be salt. I'm forgetting my slides. That's salt, light, and leaven. It's pretty cool, huh? Salt, light, and yeast. And this is why St. John Paul II said to us, be not afraid, as he envisioned the world in front of us. And Pope Benedict says, don't give in to pe pessimism and cynicism. Don't be like sourpusses. It's a technical theological word, right? <laughs> How does that translate from Latin or Greek? I don't know. Don't be like sourpusses looking like you just came back from the funeral. And even in the midst of a culture that's difficult, we should be filled with joy. We should be people of joy. We should be people of hope. We should be people of courage. We should be people of boldness. We should be people of mercy. And I, what I want to suggest to you tonight is we in particular should have hope. We who have been called to this way of life, to this body, to this community of disciples on mission, have every reason for faith and hope in the coming days. And why is that? Because your, your birth, although it's recent, has an origin. And you've had a, a relationship with the community of Christ the Redeemer, which has been around since 1978, and there's an association with the Sword of the Spirit, which began some of those communities, even before that. And the Lord was speaking to us way back in the 70s about this time in this age. And that should give us hope that the Lord's behind us and he's with us and he's called us for such a time as this. I was giving this talk, I remember Luke and those of you from Minnesota, and I was making a reference to... Uh, to this conversation between Gandalf and Frodo in the mines of Moria in the, in the Lord of the Rings when Frodo was ready to head off to, uh, to throw the ring. And I, I said, throw the ring into the Temple of Doom. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and I offended all, 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 the, all the Lord of the Rings uh, aficionados. But there's this conversation when Frodo's saying, I wish, I wish we hadn't been born in this time. 
I wish I didn't have to do this task. And Gandalf says, you know, ours is, what did he say? Ours is not to determine the time, but ours is to determine what to do with the time that's given to us. Something like that. Great quote. So, so let me just share with you a couple of prophetic words that the Lord has given to us in this movement in the 70s and 80s. My people, what I'm about with you is serious, and I want you to take it seriously. My people, what I'm about with you is serious because I love those whom I created, and those whom I've created are being deceived and seduced and beguiled by Satan and by this world, and I want to save them. Sorrow upon sorrow, agony, terror, and sickness of heart will be your companions in the days ahead. The storm is rising, the clouds are gathering, lightning, wind, and storm, great enough to carry off even the strong, ready to break upon the slumbering, the unprepared, the unconfused. As you hold fast to one another, others will come and be joined with you. Together you will labor to stem the tide of the evil one that is sweeping the earth. I will make of you, oops, I went too far. I will make of you a bulwark to defend against the onslaught of the enemy for those who are not prepared, those who are not ready. I will not have them swept away because they are not ready, but I will protect them behind the bulwark that I form out of you. And time and again, I know in my own experience in, in Christ the Redeemer, the Lord would speak prophetically to us about the coming days of difficulty and trial for the Christian people. And what I want to suggest to you all here tonight is those days are no longer coming. That those days that the Lord called, in which he called and raised us up in and spoke to us about are the days that we are now living in in this culture and in this age. These are days of tremendous spiritual and moral darkness. And it's for this time that God has raised us up. It's for this time that God's prepared us. And this, this preparation began with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the 20th century like a new Pentecost, impacting millions, hundreds of millions of believers across the face of the earth. And just like in the book of Acts, the outpouring of this Holy Spirit resulted in, in a reawakening of the pro proclamation of the gospel with power, where Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost and speaks, and people are cut to the heart, and they say, what must we do? And that's the kind of grace that's being poured out on the church today. And we're a part of that. And we've experienced that. How many have experienced hearing the gospel in a fresh way and having that gospel cut us to the heart in such a way that we say, Lord, what, what, what should I do? How, how can I respond to this? And have, you know, in, in Christ's Redeemer, when the Lord says, I, I'm calling you and I'm raising you up to proclaim my gospel to the ends of the earth in our own experience, St. Paul's Outreach and Net Ministries have been raised up as movements that are proclaiming the gospel nationally and, in, and, and internationally. And just like in the book of Acts, when that spirit was poured out, there was a grace given to actually, as Dave was talking about last night, become holy. That's the gift of the Holy Spirit. In this age, which is very difficult to become holy in, there's grace given to us in this new Pentecost to live holy lives. And just like in the book of Acts, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit has brought believers together in community life. So we should have so much hope and so much faith 
as we look what's at what's happening around us because it's the Lord has called us to this and he's prepared us for this. I just thought about over, over our history, how many times has the Lord given us something in the spirit and then later on reaffirmed it in our Catholic experience through the church? The call to be a missionary people, the call to evangelize. I remember sitting with the SBO board of directors in 1995 and my board member said, we can't call SBO's mission evangelization. That's not a Catholic idea. That's not a Catholic word. In 1980, the Lord spoke to us in communion of Christ Redeemer, and he, he said, I want you to be about three things, holiness, communion, and mission. And in 1985, uh, St. John Paul the Great wrote an uh, uh, apostolic exhortation on the role of the lady in the church, and that book was structured around, guess what? Holiness, communion, and mission. Pope Francis in Evangelii Gaudium recently said that what the church needs to be in the 20 the 21st century is a community of missionary disciples. Have you heard that before? <laughs> From the very beginning of this movement, this call to be a community of missionary disciples is what the, the Holy Spirit gave to us. We didn't read some encyclical. We read the Bible. <laughs> and the Lord said, this is what I'm calling you to be. And then the church comes around and says, this is what you're called to be. This, is, this should build faith in us. This should encourage us. And the Lord's given us grace and wisdom to build intentional communities, to, to foster culture, to pass on a way of life. He's given us wisdom that we could have never had. I know, because I was there at the beginning. And you know that too, don't you? I mean, the wisdom that the Lord's given to us about the way of life that we're striving to live, we could, we, it wasn't conceived in some back room with some guys smoking cigars and doing some strategic planning. It was given to us in the Spirit how to construct a way of life, a pattern of life, ideals to live for, practices, principles to guide our relationships, a formation program to help us become mature, and ways to live fruitful and successful marriages and family life in a culture where marriage and family life is just destroyed. So, I can tell you're getting hungry. But I'm just getting going. <laughs> so let me just mention by making reference to this, this book by Rob Dreher on the Benedict Option. And the thesis of this book is that if we have any hope of preserving Christian presence in the Christian way of life in our culture today, any way of passing our way of life on to Eleanor Marie and all the other children that the Lord is blessing us with and we're in Christ the Redeemer, we've got so many babies. Like, like every week, there's a new baby. We need to embrace what he calls the Benedict option. Actually, uh, some have proposed that it's, it's really the Benedict way, not an option. It's the Benedict way. And just as the Lord raised up St. Benedict to found the monastic movement as the Roman Empire was collapsing, as a means of preserving and passing on the Christian way of life, so the Lord is calling for a new Benedict. Roger says this, Western civilization has lost its moorings. The time is coming when men and women of virtue would understand that continued full participation in mainstream society would not be possible for those who wanted to live a life of traditional value. These people would find new ways to live community. 
And as I read through the Benedict option, I was, felt like I was, re, I, I felt like he visited our community. Didn't, didn't you? Like he visited our community and then wrote a book on our communities. I mean, he's saying things like, we have to cultivate patterns of prayer. Does that, does that sound familiar? He says, we should, we should try to live close to one another. Right? So we can actually share life together on a daily basis. He, we, we, we should re, recapture honoring the Lord's Day. We should recapture manual... Well, I've got 43 propositions that, that uh, have come out of that book, and like two-thirds of them could be lifted right out of our way of life. The Lord's given us to this. It's, it's really incredible. I think it's incredible. He's given this to us over the last 34 years in the Spirit to prepare us so that we can be building these kinds of things because I believe, and this is my experience of the church, that in the days ahead, the church is going to be looking more and more and more to the kinds of things like this because these are the only things in the church, expressions like this, that are going to, they're going to have the, the, the capability of impacting people's lives, bringing them to life-changing conversion, forming them to be mature disciples, and building them together to live a way of life that's really countercultural. So this is our mission. And, and I, 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 our mission is to be what God has called us to be in building Christian community in this time, in this age. That doesn't mean we don't, we're off the hook for sharing about Jesus and developing relationships with people in our neighborhood and our coworkers. Do not walk away and say, well, all I have to do to be, on, be a missionary is, because that's another talk that I, I'm not giving tonight, unless you want it. Uh, you do? <laughs> uh, but building this way of life is, we're witness, it's John chapter 17, Father, may they be one as you and I are one so that the world might know you have sent the Son. And people are going to be hungering to see people in love with God and in love with one another, and that's going to open our culture up to a powerful proclamation of the gospel in the spirit that I think is going to transform our culture. And that's with the eyes of faith and the, the eyes of hope. So I, I'm so, so grateful for your yes. I'm, on the, I'm turning the corner, running, running to the end. Many of you are on the front end. But your yes, the yes of your life is renewing me so that I, I finish this race well. And I, and I thank you for that. And I am so blessed to call you brothers and sisters and to be on this journey in the Lord together. Amen. Thanks, Gordy. We're, we're blessed to be on the journey with you, and thank you for, for your words and your sharings there.